Well, welcome to the first NSB podcast. It is good to be with you today. My name is Luke, and I'm the pastor at First NSB. And with us today are Joel Kobosh, our next generation leader, and Paul Sanders, our associate pastor. So thanks for tuning in. And listeners, if you want to give us some feedback, you can do so by sending us a text to 386-777-1417. So give us some feedback. Tell us what uh, what you like about the podcast. And if you haven't downloaded our church app, it's a great tool to find out what's happening in the life of our church. And then, as always, we'd love to see you on a Sunday, 9 o'clock or 1030 for worship on Sunday morning. So it's good to be with you gentlemen today. We are continuing our series through the book of Joshua. And the series title is Strong and Courageous. And we get that right out of the first chapter where Three times the Lord says to Joshua, the new leader of God's people, be strong and courageous. In fact, one of those three times he says, be strong and very courageous. And so as we began this uh, this new year, 2020, uh, we've, we've been challenged to be strong and courageous. And of course, that strength doesn't come from ourselves. It doesn't come from inside of us. Our strength comes from the Lord. And um, it's been exciting as we've seen how the Lord has worked through uh, his people, Israel, and how he has kept his promises to them. So this morning, um, and our listeners, you may be listening to this in the afternoon or whenever you're listening. Uh, that's the cool thing about it. You can pick it up whenever it's convenient for you. Uh, but for us, it's morning time. And um, we're looking at Joshua chapter 9 at this time. So Joshua chapter 9. So Joel, would you read that for us? As soon as all the kings who were beyond the Jordan, in the hill country and in the lowland, all along the coast of the great sea toward Lebanon, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites heard of this, they gathered together as one to fight against Joshua and Israel. But when the inhabitants of Gibeon heard what Joshua had done to Jericho and to Ai, they on their part acted with cunning and went and made ready provisions and took worn out sacks for their donkeys, and wineskins, worn out and torn and mended, with worn out patched sandals on their feet, and worn out clothes. And all their provisions were dry and crumbly. And they went to Joshua in the camp at Gilgal, and said to him, and to the men of Israel, We have come from a distant country, so now make a covenant with us. But the men of Israel said to the Hivites, Perhaps you live among us, then how can we make a covenant with you? They said to Joshua, we are your servants. And Joshua said to them, Who are you, and where do you come from? They said to him, From a very distant country your servants have come, because of the name of the Lord your God. For we have heard a report of him and all that he did in Egypt, and all that he did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sion the king of Heshbon, and to Og king of Bashan, who lived in Ashtaroth. So our elders and all the inhabitants of our country said to us, Take provisions in your hand for the journey and go to meet them and say to them, We are your servants. Come now, make a covenant with us. Here is our bread. It was still warm when we took it from our houses as our food for the journey on the day we set out to come to you. But now, behold, it is dry and crumbly. These wineskins were new when we filled them, and behold, they have burst. And these garments and sandals of ours are worn out from the very long journey. So the men took some of their provisions, but did not ask counsel from the Lord. And Joshua made peace with them and made a covenant with them to let them live. And the leaders of the congregation swore to them. 
At the end of three days, after they had made a covenant with him, they heard that they were with they were their neighbors and that they lived among them. And the people of Israel set out and reached their cities on the third day. Now their cities were Gibeon, uh, Shepherah, Barath, Kiriath, Jerim. But, pe- but the people of Israel did not attack them because the leaders of the congregation had sworn to them by the Lord, the God of Israel. And all the congregation murmured against the leaders. But all the leaders said to all the congregation, we have sworn to them by the Lord, the God of Israel. And now we may not touch them. This we will do to them. Let them live, lest wrath be upon us because of the oath that we swore to them. And the leader said to them, let them live. So they became cutters of wood and drawers of water for all the congregation, just as the leaders had said of them. Joshua summoned them and he said to them, why did you deceive us? Saying, we are very far from you when you dwell among us. Now, therefore, you are cursed, and some of you shall never be anything but servants, cutters of wood and drawers of water for the house of my God. They answered Joshua, because it was told to your servants for a certainty that the Lord your God had commanded his servant Moses to give you all the land and to destroy all the inhabitants of the land from before you. So we feared greatly for our lives because of you and did this thing. And now, behold, we are in your hand. Whatever seems good and right in your sight, do to us do it so he did this to them and delivered them out of the land of the people of israel they did not kill them but joshua made them that day cutters of wood and drawers of water for the congregation and for the altar of the lord to this day in the place that he should choose okay thank you and and wells participated a little bit as well didn't he yeah (laughs) Uh, that's all right that's all right so um Thank you for reading that for us. So this is a story that um, verse 14 and, and verse 14 is really and it's significant in the story because and, and let me just read it again. Verse 14 says, so the men took some of their provisions. Right. So you know, their sandals are worn out. They've got the crumbly bread. Their wineskins have burst, but did not ask counsel from the Lord. So. That's really kind of a key idea that did not seek the Lord. They did not ask counsel from the Lord. And uh, what they ended up doing was making a covenant with uh, a people who they weren't supposed to make a covenant with because the Lord didn't want them to make a covenant with the people in Canaan. And uh, there was a reason for that, lest they should become like them. Let's talk about that for a minute. Oh, here we have another example of somebody lying. And this time, the, the people of Israel were fooled by 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 these guys. Uh, they did, they went to quite an extent to, uh, to fool them by wearing the garments and bringing uh, the dry bread and all that. And then they they made sure that they they saw that, and and the people of Israel would see it. So um, I guess they did. They feel what they saw and they heard um, was enough. They didn't have to ask God for help. It was pretty obvious on the face, and which is kind of interesting. Um, I, I think that that tells us something about sometimes we trust our senses and we don't think about what, maybe what God's word is saying about things, and we say, "Oh, yeah, I know, I know what's going on," and we don't. Yeah, yeah, and and think about this. I mean, can can you really blame the the people of Gibeon? I mean, that they have um, they've heard about. Um, you know, what Israel's done. In fact, they even mention it 
at uh, at um, verse nine. When okay, so they lie. They're dishonest. They they act with cunning. They they take provisions and they make it appear as if they've been on a long journey. And so at verse nine, they say. From a very distant country, your servants have come because of the name of the Lord your God. For we have heard a report of him and all that he did in Egypt and all that he did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sion, the king of Heshbon, and to Og, king of Bashan, who lived in Ashtaroth. Now, that's the same thing that, that, that Rahab had said, right? Rahab had revealed the fact that the people of Jericho had heard about what the Lord had done for his people. Um, she I think she specifically identified um, what happened at the Red Sea. So that was back in Egypt. And then she also mentioned these two Amorite kings, Sion and Og. Well, so the people of Gibeon, they have been, they're privy to this information. They have this, this revelation or this information that the Lord God had, had acted on their behalf in Egypt and had acted on their behalf against these two Amorite kings. And so if you're, if you're a person of, of, if you're one of these Gibeonites, I mean, they're really acting in their own best interest because they're like, hey, I don't want to be like Jericho. I don't want to be like AI. I don't want to be wiped off the map. So, you know, they're they're essentially lying. I mean, would you say that they're lying to essentially save their necks? Well, very much so. Yeah. But but the other thing that I that I find fascinating is that they acknowledge that I mean they truly believe that God's gonna do this. And they and they say why they believe God is going to do this. Now God had this, did these things to. I mean, and Joel, wouldn't you say that? I mean, God did these things so that people of the earth would know that He was God. And I guess this sounds like these people believed it. Right. Yeah. I mean, certainly, it seems like that. It, yeah. It's just. You know, it makes me wonder if there was a proper way to go about it, or if they were just. It seems like there was, or were they just doomed? You know, from the the get go. It's a, it's an interesting. Well, we know that in, in the chapter before this that there were sojourners already. When they call sojourners, that means they were foreigners, right? It means they weren't children of Israel. They were already traveling with them. So they know that, and we know Rahab for sure was one of them, right? So evidently God allowed this to happen, and, and the children of Israel allowed it to happen. I wonder how these sojourners uh, decided to, to take along. Um, it, it, it's just interesting to me. It's, it's a part of the children of Israel that we don't understand. Of course, we are foreigners to, 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 to Israel, right? We're called Gentiles. So we're in that class of foreigners, Gentiles, that God has welcomed into his community. You know, kind of an interesting uh, little note here in the ESV study Bible, um, the note for um, right here on this 14th verse about the fact that they didn't ask counsel from the Lord Um the whoever authored this little footnote, what would have happened if the Lord had revealed the Gibeonites' deception to Israel? In chapter 10, all of a sudden, God allows Israel to come to the defense of Gibeon and wipes out the people. And, and, he, and he also, the, the one place in the Bible where it talks about God uh, stood the sun's hill, right? And it says, no, God never did it for anybody else but for Joshua. And he did it for Gibeon. They were they were they went to war to save Gibeon. So to me, the two past to two chapters are, are tied together, and and a, a marvelous miracle happened there. You you talk about the sun standing still, right? I mean, 
isn't that a marvelous thing? It's, it's absolutely, it defies all science. Our Earth, we know our Earth is hurtling through space at, I don't know, how many thousands of miles an hour, 20,000 miles, I don't know what it is. And, and, and the way it works is that as, it, as, it, as, it, as it's hurtling through space, it turns, and as it turns, the Earth stopped turning. Something happened. Well, if the Earth stopped turning, it's like it's going to fall out of the orbit. <laughs> yeah. I, think that's what, I think that's what happens. So it's absolutely, you can't, you can't explain it. Yeah, it's, it, it's fascinating. I mean, yeah, and that's, I need to look at it more closely to see, you know, because, I mean, certainly, yeah, once the um, kind of some of the other Canaanite kings, you know, when they find out about what Gibeon has done, um, they want to go to war with them. Well, now Israel, they're going to come to their defense because they've, you know, they've made a covenant with them. So, yeah, it's fascinating um, how this and, works. And, and that, this time Joshua spoke to the Lord, right? Um, where's that at? Uh, oh, uh, 10, 10, 12. Yeah, 10-12. At that time, Joshua spoke to the Lord in the day when the Lord gave the Amorites over to the sons of Israel, and he said to And And chapter 8, the Lord talks to Joshua, do not fear them, for I give them into your hands. So so to God God told him, go, to, go, yeah, go, 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 go defend uh, Gibeon. Yeah. Um, you know, so this was something I started to read, and then um, we got off of it, but it was... Um, it was the little ESV footnote, which I think is kind of interesting on this. Um, it's it's the little footnote on verse 14. It says, what would have happened if the Lord had revealed the Gibeonites' deception to Israel? I mean, obviously, it's a speculative question because that's not what happened. This, of course, remains an open question, though Gibeon may have been spared on the basis of their acknowledgement of the Lord. It is kind of interesting because you think like Rahab, Rahab did not lie to the spies. Rahab lied to the king of Jericho. She and of course the writer of Hebrews tells us and also James uses her um, as an example of faith. So so the writer of Hebrews says by faith, Rahab, you know, I think I guess he says like she hid the spies or something like that. And James uses her in James 2 as an example of faith, a working faith. So she lied not to the, the, the Israelite spies, but she lied to the king of Jericho. Well, here, the Gibeonites, they lie to the people of Israel. Um, but in both cases, Rahab and the Gibeonites, they had heard about what the Lord God had done for Israel. And in both cases, they're, they're really acting in their best interest, right? I mean, they, they clearly, I mean, Rahab clearly believed that God was going to give Jericho over to his people. And, and, and it looks as if the Gibeonites, you know, they think, hey, um, it's bad news for us. We, we got we to gotta protect ourselves. And so they lied. They said, hey, make a covenant with us. So it, it is fascinating to, to look at this and. You know, I mean, obviously God's in control of all of these little circumstances, but it is it is an interesting uh, interesting to see how this develops. Yeah, and, and as I say, I think you want to move on to chapter ten because um, we realize that Gibeon is actually a, a it says it's it's a major city, it's a great city, and they had fighting men, and so uh, that's why the the five kings decided to to go against them. 
and 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 yet the Gibeon did, did, wasn't didn't try to defend themselves on their own. They asked for help from God essentially when they asked for help from Joshua, right? So it, 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 also, it sounds like the Gibeonites were part of Israel for many, many years. It, it Maybe, I don't know how long they lasted, uh, where they were essentially slaves to the, uh, to, the, to the temple, to the tabernacle. But some of, it says some of them were. Not all of them were, but some of them always had to, I guess, take care of the uh, drawing of the water and the, and the wood for the, for the altars. And even then, that's a religious rite where... Only people in Israel are allowed to go into the temple areas. Yeah, and, and you look at this, I mean, so so what happens is is that you've got war between um so you got verse three of chapter ten, Adonai Zedek, king of Jerusalem, sent to Hoham, king of Hebron, to Pyram, king of Jarmuth, Japhia, king of Lachish, Debir, king of Eglon, saying, come up to me and help me and let us strike Gibeon, for he has made peace with Joshua and with the people of Israel. Right? So these kings go up against Gibeon. Well, verse 6, the men of Gibeon send to Joshua, you know, like, hey, <laughs> we need help. Um, and then the Lord says, verse 8, to Joshua, do not fear them, for I have given them into your hands. Not a man of them shall stand before you. And then look at verse 11. It says, as they fled before Israel while they were going down the ascent of Beth Horon, the Lord threw down large stones from heaven on them. I mean, it's just not a fair fight. The Lord throwing down large stones from heaven. Um, hey, if God be for us, nobody can be against us, right? Right. And then, then the Lord, then Joshua doesn't want the fight to stop, right? Verse 12. Yes. Yeah. And tell us what happens there, Paul. Well, at that time, Joshua spoke to the Lord in the day when the Lord gave the Amorites over to the sons of Israel. And he said in the sight of Israel, sun stand still at Gibeon and moon in the valley of Ahalon. And the sun stood still and the moon stopped until the nation took vengeance on their enemies. Is this not written in the book of Joshua? The sun stopped in the midst of heaven and did not hurry to set for about a whole day. There's never been a no day like this before or since when the Lord heeded the voice of a man for the Lord fought for Israel. Yeah, that is fascinating, isn't it? And it just seems like throughout reading all these chapters, that's, that's, the, that's the focal point, that the Lord Jehovah is fighting these battles, that is, is, is in control, is uh, leading, is, and, that, and then when they fail to... When they failed to heed to the Lord or ask his seek his counsel or whatever it may, that's when things go wrong. But also, the story Gibeon is a story of grace, is it not? I, to me, it, it's it's symbolic of the fact that when we when we walk in my walk with God, I don't do it perfectly. I know I haven't done it perfectly over the years. I, I try to do what's right and I ask for help to do what's right, but I know that I've done. I, I've thought. Some things I wasn't correct in my theology at times. Uh, I asked God to help me in things that I, he, he didn't want to help me with. Um, I, I did wrong things, uh, as you say, Pastor, in, in, yesterday, in, in yesterday's sermon. Uh, we've sinned. We've, we've done wrong. We, we do it regularly. Um, but he shows us his grace and he cares for us. Despite our sins, despite the fact we do what's wrong, despite the sometimes we lie, 
and and he saves us. And I and this is what I see with Gibeon. Um, yeah, they did the wrong thing and they they lied, but um, they lied because they trusted God to that they were going to get wiped out, which is a, a good time to to approach God when you think that things are going to go wrong. And you might not end up in uh, in heaven. You might end up in hell. So that's the first thing that happens is we approach God and say, "Oh, please save me!" Right? And uh, and He does. We don't understand what it all means to be saved, but He saves us. Right. And despite Gibeon's deception, even when these kings come to against them, God says, "Don't worry, I'll fight for you." Yeah. You know, there's a little interesting. Um, I was just kind of reading uh, reading ahead here. There's a little interesting um, a couple of verses that I want to just interact with for a moment. It's in chapter 11, verses verse 19 and 20. It says there was not a city <clears throat> that made peace with the people of Israel except the Hivites, the, inhabit, the inhabitants of Gibeon. They took them all in battle, for it was the Lord's doing to harden their hearts that they should come against Israel in battle in order that they should be devoted to destruction and should receive no mercy but be destroyed just as the Lord commanded Moses. Now that's interesting, isn't it? It says it was the Lord's doing to harden their hearts that they should come against Israel in battle. Gibeon didn't come against Israel in battle. So, I mean, you know, I don't want to get too speculative here, obviously, but it is fascinating that rather than coming against Israel in battle, they came with deception to make a covenant. Right, and and it's also interesting to, to the, the way he describes of uh, the people, the, the five kings, they call them Amorites. It's one kind of people in Canaan. And the Gibeons were Hivites. And, if, and what my, the, the ESV says that the, the Hivites were pro probably from, from Indo-European areas. In other words, um, they were outside of Canaan. They were, they were foreigners themselves. So, um, yeah, it's it's a it's is not is not interesting that how, how God works things out for people that, that trust Him. Absolutely, yeah, and we don't have the um, you know we, we have the by faith Rahab. We we don't have the by faith Gibeon. We don't, we don't see that in the New Testament, right? We don't see them in Hebrews. We don't see them in James, right? So, to my knowledge, I and I'm pretty sure about this. Um, I, I don't think Gibeon. And, and the actions of Gibeah, the Gibeonites are, are mentioned anywhere in the New Testament. It, it, to my, as far as I, yeah, I don't think there's any rec any mention of them in the New Testament. So, uh, but it is a fascinating little story, and we don't always get, um, we don't always get like a commentary. Like we get, we get the story, and it is interesting that the narrator or the storyteller tells us, you know, at verse fourteen, but. Israel did not count, take counsel from the Lord, but they did not take counsel from the Lord. I mean, that is an interesting uh, detail that the, the leaders did not take counsel from the Lord. Um, yeah, it's an interesting, interesting story. So uh, there certainly is the positive teaching of, hey, we, we do need to make sure we seek counsel from the Lord. I think it's hard to, like, I mean, just to break up, even just to try and, to break up these passages just because it, it just seems like a one complete, like God is doing a specific thing throughout the old Testament and you have to draw from 
to, to understand what's really going on, I, I think you do have to draw from the other, other texts and just the whole story. Well, and he says that the reason in verse 20, you've read that, but, it, but I, I it said there was a Lord's doing to harden their hearts as you come against Israel in battle in order they should be voted destruction. That reminds me of, of when they left, when, when God was moved, taking them out of Egypt, where God kept hardening the heart of Pharaoh. So um, here we have an example of when people decide to deliberately go and fight Israel, uh, God hardened their hearts so they would keep doing it, it says. And, and so God, God has an active interest in seeing people destroyed at times, um, people who are in his way. We, we forget that about God, and we forget that God hardens people's hearts. It isn't like, oh, yeah, everybody can come. Uh, you know, what he says is, is he died for everyone. We know that Jesus died for everyone. But he also hardens people's hearts. That's scary. Yeah. Yeah, that's a, that's a difficult thing to wrap your head around. Yeah. So when we, when we praise God for being the Lord of mercy, the Lord of blessing, the Lord of love, we mean that. We're, we're glad that we aren't part of, we're not against him because he can make it tough on us. I mean, look at good old Satan, right? Satan has been battling him for, I don't I imagine, for a good deal of eternity. I don't know how much of eternity. Well, you'd think Satan would give up after a while, but God doesn't let him do it. He doesn't let him give up. It is no, there's no mercy for Satan, is there? Well, what we read, we read that he's, he's thrown into the lake of fire. Yeah, you know, when we, um, like even with the story that we looked at before with, with the story of Achan, I mean, Achan, I mean, Achan did wrong, no doubt, right? He took... He took goods that had been devoted to the Lord, and he coveted them, and he and he hid them in his own belongings. And so, I mean, he clearly acted wrongly, and and he certainly deserved the judgment that he received. Um, you know, and I, I realize that some sin has greater consequences than other. I mean, ultimately, ultimately, all sin, ultimately, the wages of 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 sin is death. Like we know that the wages of sin is death. Um, you know, but there's some sins which have more devastating consequences than others, right? I mean, like sins of thought are not going to have the same kind of a consequence of, of actually carrying out those thoughts, right? I mean, you know, Jesus talks about adultery in the heart and he says, you know, if you, if you look at a woman, you know, with lustful intent, you've already committed adultery in your heart. Well, that's bad, but it's not, it doesn't have the same consequences as if you actually went and committed physical adultery, right? So sin is sin. Um, some, some sins have greater consequences than other sins, you know, but you look at that and, and I mean, it's like, you know, I, I, I wasn't a part of the nation of Israel and I wasn't there in Jericho and I, I didn't take any of the devoted things. So I didn't do what Achan did, but I've sinned in a whole lot of other ways. And you know, if, if, if I got exactly what I deserved, um, it'd be, be hell. And so, yeah, we, we, we can celebrate God's grace and, you know, why some receive the grace of God and others don't. I mean, th these are, these are, these are some tough theological or thorny theological questions and they can make us uncomfortable. Um, you know, it, it, it just, uh, you know, we don't have to have all the answers, but we can we can thank God for his grace and his kindness shown to us. 
and, and realize that, that we are the conduits through which God's grace can flow to others. Oh, would you also say, we agree conversely, that God sometimes uses people, takes our sins and uses them as an example to the rest of the congregation? Sure. I'm thinking, I'm thinking for, for instance, uh, of, of what you said about Jesus saying, is, uh, if you think about a woman lustfully, you've already committed adultery in your heart. Well, if you keep thinking about a woman lustfully, uh, wanting to commit adultery in your heart, um, when the time comes, you'll do it. Well, at that moment, if it's, if it's part of our congregation, then that visible sin, which was invisible in somebody's mind, but now visible in probably both people's minds, right? Uh, that becomes an example to the congregation. As, an ex as a negative example of, of, of what to be careful about. <laughs> and, and we've seen it in our, in our congregation. The de it's devastating. It's devastating to the families. It's devastating to the children. It's, it's it's de and, and, and this is not to, uh, to try to make people bad, feel bad who are divorced because a good 50% of marriages end in a divorce, including in the church. So we have a lot of people in our church uh, that are that have that 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 are, have been divorced or have married people who are divorced. I'm one of them, um, and so I'm not I'm not trying to cast stones against them or or. But I'm just saying that when you see the devastation of divorce, you realize that God is making an example of it. So what do you think God is is um, is trying to have us do as a congregation based on these passages in this coming year? What what is the challenge for us in the year? Would you say? How about you, Joel? Well, I think it just—I think there's a lesson to be learned about who God is. <laughs> I think that's the Old Testament. Sometimes we forget about the Old Testament God and the fact that He is—he was—and not—I I say the Old Testament God just because of passages like Joshua, where He is just destroying countries or making the sun stand still or departing, parting the Red Sea, and all these miracles that we read of. Uh, and it, it, it makes God out to be, he's, he's powerful in control. He's, he's not just, you know, uh, a good guy or something. And, uh, sometimes I think our culture, we downplay we've, and I don't know if it's cause we've, we we're distant from this or, but I know even in my own mind, sometimes we downplay who God is a little bit. And it seems like this passage is certainly just a reminder that God is a big God, a powerful God. He's in control. He works through creation, through people. So I think that's certainly a, a lesson to be learned and, and challenged with. And just, I th there seems to be like an element of his holiness too, that it was, it was no, even just the purification laws and all that, when it was, it was, uh, it shows God's holiness and that you didn't just show up or you didn't just continue living in your sin and, and expect to have a relationship with God. No, God's a holy God that can't have anything to do with sin. Right. It, he had children of Israel live this out for thousands of years, for all we can tell, the, the purification and, and following these rules. And, um, and, and, and we know that the sacrifices that they did pointed to Jesus being sacrificed on the cross, but I, also the purification and the festivals and the, and the worship that they were admonished to do and they were told they had to do um, points us to what we need to do as well, does it not? 
I mean, that's why we read the Old Testament, because it gives us the background that what Jesus was talking from when he talks about that we need to live a life of purity and holiness and, um, and, 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 and not in hypocrisy, but in, in, in truly repentant of our sins and truly asking God for help to live our lives. Yeah, I agree. It, and well, one, I think I was just thinking that it is important that we recognize that it, it points us to Jesus because it, one, it, it tells us the miracle of when we think of who God is, we see who God is. And then we recognize that he became man, he became human. And why did he do that? He did it for us. And it just sheds light on that miracle that God became man. But yeah, then, then also that part of that, that Jesus didn't come to a, or abolish the law or, or change the law. No, he came to fulfill the law and to help us understand it and, and give us power to live it. You know, and it's, you know, it's part of it is, um, you know, just trying to, it's something to wrestle with this idea of, of the fact that they didn't seek counsel from the Lord. And yet, um, you know, there is, there is a, there is grace extended, even though it was under, <laughs> um, you know, deception. So, you know, sometimes we want things to be nice, clean and neat, but you know, they're not always like that, are they? And, um, you know, um, I mean, I don't know. I mean, you know, I don't want to like be too speculative or anything, but I guess, you know, I look at my own self. It's like, you know, if, if I was in their situation, I mean, would I lie to protect myself and my family? Well, if I, if I thought that, if I thought this invading people or this people that were going to take the land that God was giving to them, if I, if I, if I really believed that we were about to be done, like it happened at Jericho and AI, I mean, you know, it's under, I mean, their actions are certainly understandable, right? <laughs> so. Yeah. And would you say that this is like a, a gray area that, you know, the, the Bible, the, the, this is a story that doesn't make Israel look good. It doesn't make the Gibeons look good, but it also looks, it also shows the power of God to save. Yeah. Um, and, and, and yeah, it's fascinating too, in light of um, chapter 11, uh, verse 20, where it talks about the Lord's doing to harden their hearts that they should come against Israel in battle. Um, I mean, that, that was how God acted you know, he hardened the hearts of the peoples to come against Israel, but that wasn't the case with the Gibeonites. I mean, they, they didn't come against Israel in battle. They, they came against Israel because they wanted peace. <laughs> they wanted a, they wanted the covenant, right? So, I mean, God's in control of all these things. And, you know, it's kind of fascinating because, I mean, you know, it's like, well, how does all this work out? I mean, so God's in control, God's sovereign, and the Gibeonites come to Israel deceptively, and Israel doesn't seek the Lord, and they make a covenant with them. The Lord has clearly said, don't make a covenant with the people in the land. So, I mean, there's all kinds of things that work here, and, and we kind of want to reason it out and all this other kind of stuff. But, you know, we don't, we don't know why all things happen the way they do, but we know God's in control, and God's plan is, uh, is, is perfect, and, and he does his will. So... It is fascinating, though. Yeah, it is. I agree. We 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 want to. We have this desire to make it make sense of it all, and I'm not sure that we can. Yeah, I mean, it's like you know. I mean, I think that 
black and white is easy for us, right? I mean, we just, if everything was just black and white, really simple, yes, no. Um, but, you know, that's not, you know, things aren't always as nice and tidy as we might want them to be. So. Well, I, I almost feel like there's a sense, too, where we want, we want to be able to understand God. Yeah. And maybe it's texts like this that help us to realize we can understand certain things about God, but there's just things we can't understand about God because he's so big and complex. Exactly. And, th and then we see examples of God's incredible. I mean, so we saw God's judgment on Achan, you know, in the previous text. You know, I made mention on Sunday about God's judgment on Ananias and Sapphira in the book of Acts. But then look at somebody like Peter. You know, I mean, he denied Jesus three times, right? I mean, and God's grace was extended to him, and he, he preached on the day of Pentecost with boldness. And he was, he was strong and courageous on the day of Pentecost, right? He wasn't denying Jesus. He was proclaiming Jesus. So, um, yeah, it's, uh, you know, God, God is gracious. So. Uh, Romans eleven thirty to 32, where just as you were at one time disobedient to God, but now have received mercy because of their disobedience, so they too have now been disobedient in order that by the mercy shown to you, they also may now receive mercy. For God has consigned all the disobedience that he may have mercy on all. And he's talking about the children of Israel here. Paul is talking about why Israel isn't being saved right now. And he's saying that we as Gentiles are being are saved because of Israel's disobedience. Isn't that fascinating? And God consigned them to that. And Gibeonites are an example of Gentiles being saved in the midst of them being wiped out. So I think it's a story of God's mercy and grace. Well, we can certainly give thanks to God for his grace and his mercy that he has extended to us. And um, I look forward to looking at this text further as we gather with our church family for worship this Sunday at 9 o'clock and 1030 Gentlemen, thank you for your time, and to our listeners, thanks for listening in today. We hope you've enjoyed our podcast.